As many of you know, um, Cindy and I had the privilege of going to Germany about a year and a half ago. And there were several things that we wanted to see there. It's the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and we'll get a little bit more into that uh, later. But several things that we wanted to see. And believe it or not, one of, the, one of the things that I wanted to see that was right at the top of my list, I actually found it in Luther's house. In Martin Luther's house. In a little town called Wittenberg, Germany, in East Germany. So still a one-horse town. It's very small. And there it was, of all places, in a cabinet. It was a document, a piece of paper, a certificate, called an indulgence. An indulgence. Now, when we think of an indulgence, you know, I'm not talking about somebody eating too much bluebell ice cream or chocolate. An indulgence was something that you could buy, something that I could buy, something any t- anybody in town could buy that reduced his or her time in purgatory. What a deal. And there it was. I got to see the document. I found out there were, there were several of them that, that we saw in our t- tour of, of Germany. And... This little piece of paper, in many ways, changed the world. I guess I should say the reaction to this piece of paper, in many ways, changed the world. For them, at that time, in that church, look, there's several options for you. If you're uh, living on this earth and then you, you die, you could go to hell, you could go to heaven. Most of you, the teaching goes at that time, most of you are going to go to purgatory. You have to go to purgatory because you've got to be purified and punished of your remaining sin to get ready for, hopefully, heaven. Hopefully, you will make it. Now, some members of Martin Luther's church were going across the border. These salesmen weren't coming inside the border of where Luther's church was. You can go across the border, buy an indulgence, and members of his church were coming back and saying, Pastor Martin, look what I bought. I've got less time in purgatory. Or, you know, I, you could actually buy an indulgence for anybody. You know, I bought this one for my grandmother. You know, she was basically a nice person, but you didn't really know who she really was. She, was, she could be kind of cranky, and there's no telling how long she's going to be in purgatory. But I think by purchasing this, I have reduced her time by half. Now, if you know anything at all about, about Martin Luther, he hit the roof. What? By whose authority is forgiveness and grace bought and sold by the authority of the Pope, by the authority of councils, by the authority of men, institutions? Where'd you get that? Where did you get that? You see, if you, don't, if you don't get anything else today, remember, one of the reasons why we, we remember the Protestant Reformation is the Reformation started with a very practical, daily, pastoral issue. Somebody is selling grace. 
Somebody selling forgiveness. Somebody selling salvation. I'm so glad we don't have that anymore. That's a joke. Do we have that? Sign this, fill this in, make this call, send this money, and you will get fill in the blank. It's still around. It was around then, it's still around. Buying and selling grace. Now, as Martin Luther was dealing with this and facing this, he just so happened to be teaching and preaching through the Psalms. Just like we've been doing, reading through the Psalms on Tuesdays, our Psalms and Meditation service, Martin Luther loved the Psalms. We sang one of Martin Luther's Psalms earlier in the service, Psalm 46, a mighty fortress is our God. When Luther got down, depressed, full of anxiety, up and down, by the way, this was a guy who had big ups and big downs. He ran to the Psalms for comfort, for hope. For truth, for direction. He did that often. He called the Psalms a miniature Bible. Right in the middle of our Bible, we have a miniature Bible. And he really loved Psalm 119. He said once, I wouldn't trade the whole world for Psalm 119. And he summarized it this way. Psalm 119 gets us excited about God's word. Luther didn't use that word very often, but he used it in this case. Excited about God's word. You see, the influence of the Psalms on so many people, so many of the Protestant reformers, so many people before them, after them, is life-changing. And Luther responds and he writes his 95 Theses. Maybe you've heard of the 95 Theses. Maybe you didn't know that the 95 Theses was written against indulgences. Buying and selling grace, forgiveness, salvation. Who has that authority? Who has the authority to even come up with something called purgatory? Who has the authority to say, do your best and God will give you grace? Now, with that background, I want you to to hear This psalm that that meant so much to Luther, so much to the Reformation. Psalm 119, 33 through 48. It's a very, very long psalm. We're just going to read a few verses. Keep that background in mind. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may... Keep your law, that I may observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies, not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules, your precepts are good. Behold, I long for your precepts in 
your righteousness. Give me life. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me. For I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules, your precepts. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. You see, when we find authority here, when we find authority in the Bible, it is not restricting, it is freeing. You see, this is the authority that we're made for. It's like saying, oh, this is what I was made for. It's like saying, oh. I've been looking for this my whole life. This is what I'm designed for. Look, I don't have to tell you we've got authorities everywhere. We've got experts everywhere. And they are writing books. And they are writing e-books. And they are blogging. And they are texting. And they are tweeting. And they are Facebooking. And they are Instagramming. And Snapchatting. And group meeting And WhatsApping. And on and on and on. Look to me. Follow me. I've got the answer. Look to me. See me as an authority. See me as an expert. You know, there's a lot of people spending a lot of time and staying up really late at night and spending a lot of money and a lot of energy to convince you of what you need and what will make you happy. And what will fulfill you and what you're made for. They're everywhere. Those authorities... Those experts are everywhere, and mostly they will leave you empty and disappointed and often depressed. They say things like, look, all of your dreams will come true. Your marriage will be and can be one long eternal honeymoon. Find your inner strength, your inner power. You can be anything, on and on and on. You see, when the reformers and us, when we rediscover the authority of the Bible over every other authority, here's what we find. And there's, there's four things, and I'm going to move through them fairly quickly, but I want you to see those things in this passage. This is what we're made for. What are you made for? What am I made for? What is everybody made for? Here's what we need. Here's what we need. Here's the rediscovery of the reformers. And here's the truth. More importantly, the the truth of the Bible. We need guidance. We need protection. We need true freedom. And we need true love. We need guidance. We need protection. We need true freedom. 
Where do you find true freedom? True love. Where do you find true love? That's what we're made for. And that's what we find when we look to the Bible as our authority. Guidance. Uh, right at the beginning, Psalm 33, Psalm, verse 33, verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. Give me understanding. Help me observe with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments. I was driving to church a few years ago, and it was behind, I was driving behind a, a pickup. Not unusual. I was driving behind a pickup. Pickups are everywhere. But I noticed several bumper stickers on the, la- on, the, on the back of this pickup truck. One said, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. One said, United States Navy retired. The other said, question all authority. Somebody's confused. But it's so typical of all of us. It's in our own hearts. And here's this emphasis on teaching, understanding, way, path. One of Paul's favorite words in, in the New Testament is walk. Walk, he says in Ephesians, walk in love and light and wisdom. Later in this very psalm, uh, in, in Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. I remember the, 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 the darkest dark, and I don't mean psychologically, I mean physically, the darkest dark I ever experienced is when I was a kid, I don't know what they were trying to do to me, but I was very small, very young, and we went to Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico as a family. And we took the trek, I think it's something like a mile, all the way down to what they call the big room. And we went all the way down, took about an hour. I was this big, my sister's this big. What were our parents thinking? We're going all the way down there, and then they give you a little warning A very little warning. We're going to turn off the lights now. Everybody ready? And they turned off the lights. And we're deep in the cave. And you probably experienced something like this. You can't see your your hand right here. Fortunately, we're, we're, we're holding on to one another, grabbing one another. They said they weren't going to keep it off very long. They didn't keep it off very long. But when those lights came back on, you can tell I'm scarred for life. When those lights came back on, praise God. I didn't sleep in the dark for three weeks. I have never loved light so much. Light. That's the Bible for a believer. That's God's authority in his word for a believer. It's light. It's not some kind of heavy load restriction. It's the light coming on. And I wanted the light to stay on and search me out and show me the way out of there. We need that light in this dark, crazy, confused, pagan world. We need guidance. Secondly, we need protection. Verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Boy, you could make that a life verse, couldn't you? Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life 
in your ways. A few years ago, it's been a few years ago now, it's become kind of a standard bit of research that people point to at, at this point. It's become very well known. But there was a study of 3,000 teenagers. Interviews all over the United States, Christian and non-Christian. Basic questions about God, religion, church, Jesus. And out of it came a book. It's called Soul Searching, Soul Searching, uh, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And they came up with this term that's somewhat abstract, but if you we'll talk about it, 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 what it means, moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, what in the world is that? That's the way they summed up what they heard from these young people. Moralistic, hey, people ought to be good, they ought to do good things. It's important for people to do good things, to be nice, to be kind, to be generous, to seek justice, those kinds of things. That's good. Therapeutic, and I don't mean therapeutic here, and they don't either, in, in, in to say all oh, therapy is bad. What their point is, is the way the young people saw and see God is God is there when I need him. He's there when I need him, and he's fundamentally there to meet my needs. He's fundamentally there to meet my needs, and I know he's always there when I need him. Deism, that's just a word for saying God is way out there and he really doesn't have a whole lot to do with my daily life. I actually live as though he doesn't exist. And this is what they found. People ought to be good. God's there when I need him, but I mostly live as though he's not there. And that is is true of so many in our world, in our culture, at whatever age. This phrase, worthless things, means empty, deceitful. Uh, What Psalm 1 calls chaff. We live in a a chaff world. It points to our constant desire to make idols, to worship things. That we shouldn't. And we often want our spirituality in our way, on our own terms. And here he says, Lord, protect me from that. Turn my eyes. It's beautiful. Turn my eyes. Lord, turn my eyes. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life. In your ways, we need protection. Number three, we need freedom, true freedom. Verse 45, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. The NIV puts it this way, I will walk about in freedom, for I've sought out your precepts. Now, how do most people define freedom? Freedom is when I don't have to be responsible for my Wife, or my kids, or my parents, or I don't have to work anymore. I don't have any more restrictions. I can do exactly what I want to do. I'll be free. Free from anything that might tie me down. Well, the imagery here is is like moving from a dark, again, moving from a dark area. 
into a light area, a narrow area into a wide area. It's like emerging finally from Carlsbad caverns and and getting fresh air. It's not no restrictions, it's the right restrictions. Look, many of you know, the Mercers are a baseball family. Never had a chance. Never had a chance. The, the very first professional, the very first any sporting event I ever attended was at Wrigley Field. We lived up there. My dad was a professor at Wheaton College. And I still remember walking up that ramp and seeing the ivy. It was like heaven on earth. It was, it was an, uh, 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 it, the image still is with me to this day. I was a small kid. I was in elementary school. My parents... Grew up, my parents, their parents, their parents for several generations going to Fenway Park. Go Red Sox. Going to Fenway Park year after year after year. And our son played baseball. And look, there's, there's no, for those of you who experienced, you know, it might be baseball for you. It might be softball for you. There's nothing like hitting a ball in the sweet spot. If you've ever managed to do it, to do it, I didn't do it often. My son did. There's nothing like that. But how is a bat to be used? A bat is supposed to fly through the air, cut through the air aerodynamically, meet the ball in the sweet spot, send it over the wall. You don't catch a ball with a bat. You don't catch a fly ball with a bat. You don't throw a guy out at first base with a bat. That's not how it's designed to be used. I'm afraid that many of us, and myself included, I'm trying to pitch with a bat. I'm trying to live in ways that I am not designed to live. And I fall into temptation. And I go down wrong paths. And I seek idols. You see, biblical, biblical obedience, as we see here in this passage, biblical obedience is not legalism. Legalism is when you're you believe that you're going to have your relationship with God based upon your righteousness. You're going to have your relationship with other people based upon your righteousness. I'm going to earn my relationship with God. I'm going to earn my relationship with other people. Have you ever had anybody tell you or have you ever told anybody, I will love you if. I will accept you if. That's legalism. That's legalism. Here's biblical obedience. Biblical obedience is love in action. It's what love looks like. Is there a word that is more confused in our culture than the word love? We read it. It was very clear in in the New Testament. In 1 John chapter 5, earlier in the service. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, that we love God and obey His commandments. That linking of love and commandment. Ah, So that's what love looks like. Not to earn my relationship with God, 
but to bear fruit. I am called to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor as last myself. That's true freedom. When we finally find our right expert, our right authority, our right precepts, our right guidance. Ah, this is what I'm made for. And finally, we need love. Mostly, we need love. Look at verse 41. Let your steadfast love, your chesed, your covenant love, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord. It's your salvation according to your promise. There it is, even in the Old Testament. Of course in the Old Testament. I can't earn it. It's a promise. It's free. And then I'll have an answer. And then he goes on to say, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, before everybody, and shall not be put to shame. And I, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. There it is in the space of just a few verses. Your steadfast love comes to me. Your salvation comes to me. And now I delight in your commandments. I delight in your direction. I am rescued by Christ on the cross, in my place, because of my sin, to love Him and love others. To love Him and to love others. I want to read um, a little bit of a letter that I received. Don't get nervous. It's not from anyone in here. And I received it before I knew how to read. I was one. It was the day after my one-year-old birthday. The amazing thing about this letter is I didn't know I had it. And I just discovered it a few years ago in one of our moves. And I picked up this letter... Wow. And it was dated. And I opened it up and and read it, and it took me a long time to recover. It's from my mom, who was certainly an authority in my life. But she wants to communicate in this letter. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. And by the way, it's not about me. I'm going to use this as an illustration to much more important letter. She says this. Just a, this is just a little part of the letter. Dearest Brad, we have never been parents before, so we're learning along with you. We always pray that the Lord will give us wisdom. Before you were born, we dedicated you to the Lord. We really feel that you are a gift from him. Someday, when you read this, we trust that you will be faithfully serving him. Thank you so much for a wonderful first year that you have given us. We hope to have many more. 
We love you so much. We didn't have a party for you this year because there aren't too many people we know here in Illinois, but we will have a party, though, in the future. Words cannot express what we feel for you now. We pray that as the years roll by, we'll be able to show you. That's wonderful. That's from an authority. That reminds me of God's promises and God's call in my life and what I'm made for. But it's nothing compared to this. Yeah, we remember a bunch of dead guys at this time of year with the Reformation, but you're going to see those. If you're a believer, you're going to see all those dead guys. I hope to meet many of them. It's one of my great longings. Not now, Lord. If I'm not here next week, you'll know what happened. I will not lose this letter. I will pour over this letter. I will read it more than once every year. This is more important. It's our authority, but it's an authority that frees. And it, it, it is an authority that answers the question, what am I made for? <laughs> what am I here for? What is this all about? We need guidance. We need protection. We need freedom. We need true love. And as often happens, um, we can summarize this very, in, in a very simple gospel song, and we're going to do that in, in just a moment. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But to trust and obey, it's what we're made for. It's what was rediscovered at the Reformation it's what we continue to embrace today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the authority and the instruction and the guidance of your letter to us. Your word, the Bible. We thank you that it is in your Bible that we hear your voice. And as this is just a, a, a little illustration, this letter from my mom, my mom and authority, wanting the best for me, the Bible, so much more so for all of us. It is not burdensome. Biblical obedience is not burdensome. It's what we're made for. It's, it's the design. It's how we're supposed to operate. And so, Lord, we, we close with prayer and we close with singing and we ask that you would drive these truths home. Drive what we have read home into our hearts so that we might walk with you, love others, and be conformed to the image of our Savior and Lord who came such a great, great, great distance for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Amen.